You're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It's Monday. It is, in fact, obviously, uh, March 6th. Hope everyone had a good weekend. It was a very, very busy weekend, as a matter of fact, and especially for those, uh, if you check out some of the video that we have that is up on the website, dipietro.com, we had, I mean, it was just such a busy weekend. There was an armed carjacking in Providence on Friday afternoon. There was a bad bus accident in Johnston on Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon was just unbelievable what was going on. Everything just erupted all at once. And then you had a manhunt in East Providence for someone that was on the loose. They had the police and the drones. It was a happening. It was a shooting in Pawtucket over the weekend. And then uh, also yesterday was the protest Rhode Island Coalition for Israel against the GAM Theater in Warwick for their production of, of, of Bad Jews. Now also... Someone who was also in the news over the course of the weekend is our friend Nicole Solace. And Nicole was on Fox and Friends. And folks, what she has gone through, Nicole Solace, and she has a video right now. She is that mom from South Kingstown. Uh, Nicole is a friend of the program. She is fearless. She is tremendous. And she was also on Fox and Friends over the course of the weekend. But there's a video of her that is on tiktok right now and i i fully get a lot of people are not on tiktok but it is uh it's an incredible app and the thing is just absolutely exploded but there is a video of her and describing what she's going through in rhode island what they put it through it has four million views so i want to play this is nicole solace this was recorded last week four million views in less than a week that is unbelievable on TikTok. This is Nicole Solace last week. And I am a mother from Rhode Island who was sued by the teachers union simply because I wanted to know what my kindergartner would be learning in school. And here's how this happened. I asked to see the curriculum and my school told me I had to submit a public records request. The curriculum wasn't posted online and it wasn't available in a school district. Then I asked them if they were teaching gender theory, and they told me that they don't call children boys and girls, and they embed the values of gender identity into every classroom, including kindergarten, and they didn't want to answer any of my questions further. They told me that they would communicate with me only through public records requests, and that is the only way I could get my questions answered. And when I did submit the public records request that they told me to submit, and I submitted hundreds because I had hundreds of questions, my school board then put my name on the agenda of a public school board meeting and held a public school board meeting to discuss suing me for submitting the request that they told me to submit. In a five-hour-long school board meeting, they openly debated my moral character, my political motivations. They said that I was causing chaos, wreaking havoc, harming the district, harming children. One school board member even said she felt unsafe and started to cry because, as you see, I'm really scary standing here (laughs) right now. And they really just tarred and feathered me for asking questions. And they had never met me before, and this was the first school board meeting that I had ever been to in my life. They wanted to send a message to other parents that if you ask questions, they will come after you. Well, at the end of this meeting, they decided that they they wouldn't sue me for asking questions because they never intended on actually suing me. They just wanted to publicly humiliate me in a school board meeting that was a show trial. 
And when that happened, then the teachers union, the largest teachers union in the country, the NEA, did file a lawsuit against me to bully me and harass me with frivolous litigation and to send a message to other parents that if you ask questions about public education, they will come after you. And I'm here so that this doesn't happen to any other parent in America. I'm still in litigation for almost two years with the teachers union. I still don't have my answers. But what I do know is that my school district and my teachers union didn't want to just hide the curriculum from me. They wanted to ruin my life just for asking for it. And I don't want that to happen to any other parent in America. My name is Nicole. This is that video. Four million views on TikTok. All true. Keep in mind, Governor McKee was endorsed by that teachers union. And when the head of the teachers union goes on television, do they ask about that? No, they laugh it up. Hummel will have him on Lively. Here he is, Bob Walsh. Oh, yeah, folks, all in cahoots. Where she's also exactly right is they wanted to absolutely ruin her life, destroy her. We're going to destroy her and make an example out of her. Now, I want to play um, Nicole Salas, the South Kingstown mom. She was on Fox and Friends. And she, as you can tell, she is she's an attorney. She is uh, flawless. This is what it sounded like on Fox and Friends. Last year, a Rhode Island mom was sued by one of the largest school districts in the country after pressing for answers on whether critical race theory was being taught in her daughter's school. Now, that same mom says newly leaked slides prove that the teachers unions met to discuss their strategy for their public fight against her. One of those slides saying, quote, Nicole Solis, 200 APRA requests have crippled our district by asking for detailed information, like months of educators' emails targeted on select terms. Part of a well-coordinated effort from outside groups without dated thinking who want to push for inaccurate lessons to fuel division. Viewed last Wednesday's SC meeting, School people committee attended meeting. the meeting from across New England. That mom, Nicole Solis joins us now. Nicole, thank you for joining us this morning. It must have been pretty disconcerting to see that you were the topic um, of this meet secret meeting with your picture up as if you were some sort of criminal. Yes, um, this was a meeting that the teachers union had, an emergency meeting where they painted me like a wanted enemy of the state simply because I submitted public records requests. A teacher leaked these slides to me there were 250 teachers that attended where they were alerted to me being an attack on public education. You know, these people present themselves as if they are pillars of the community when really they look more like psychopaths zeroing in on a target. The guy that made these slides is a middle school math teacher in my town, and he's acting like a psycho, pasting pictures of me like on slides as if he's in his mom's basement. Like who, who does this to a person? Yeah, but this isn't about me this is what the teachers union does they target parents um and, and and this is happening across the country since i've gone public i have seen letters from the teachers union that send threats of lawsuits to other parents because the teachers union doesn't like what they say on facebook about them so they have secret meetings about me they have threats of lawsuits against other parents and in my case they, they actually did sue me um, so this is my evidence that they've been harassing me from, from day one. 
And, you know, months later, they then filed a lawsuit against me. And it's all because I asked questions about public education. Yeah, so let's be clear. You, you put in a records request because you want to know, are you teaching CRT? I want to see the curriculum in my child's school. You know, I used to see parents come on, like you, who want to get involved in their public school, and they would say, I don't want to co-parent with the public school. In this case, this isn't even about co-parenting. They want to take over completely. Do you feel at all heartened, Nicole, by the fact that the Republicans, at least, are putting forward a parental bill of rights, which would give parents the right to access all that information without having to go through this process and then your case get vilified by the unions for it? Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a parent that enrolled my daughter in public school for kindergarten. I had no idea that I would be treated like an adversary. I thought I had all these rights going into public school. I thought I could ask to see the curriculum, but just asking to see the curriculum caused my school district and teachers union to retaliate against me. And they yeah. really tried to ruin my life. The Parents' yeah. Bill of Rights is something that everyone should support because all it does is say is that you have a right to see the curriculum, you have a right to be heard, you have a right to know if there's violence at school, you have a right to protect your child's privacy. I mean, these are all common sense principles that everyone can agree on across the political yeah. spectrum. These unions are ruthless. And as you know, they got the administration to uh, label other parents as domestic terrorists in Virginia and God knows where else. Uh, so has this changed your mind about the need for school choice. I mean, I, I see you battling. I feel I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the kind of efforts you put into changing the system. But is the system so corrupt and that it, it can't be, you know, reformed and that we, what we really need to do is just give parents that money, that those education dollars so they can go and find a school system or private school or a charter school that reflects their values and respects them as parents? Absolutely. School choice is what will break the chokehold on public education. And, you know, public education, I, I don't think it's redeemable unless we have school choice, because if we have school choice, that will incentivize public school yes. to improve. It will make public school better if they have competition. So this is a win for everyone yeah. all around. We should be able to choose where we where our kids go to school. And I should be able to be a parent that, that you know, can choose where my kids go to school without me being targeted. Yeah. Well, you are a mama warrior. And I thank you for your courage and for bringing this to light. It's very important for our nation. Nicole, thank you for joining us. We also have a note here because um, we reached out to the South Kingston School Committee for a statement. And they have no response. Folks, again, that was Nicole Salas on Fox and Friends. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also, 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. AtMed Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At AtMed Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families. They're on duty at all times. They're open seven days a week. Walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical. Now, if you're in a car accident, go to AtMed Urgent Care. Avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms. They also do adult vaccinations, laboratory testing. At Med Urgent Care, when it's an emergency, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston, that's right, in the Atwood Medical Center, and also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net.
Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. Time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. It is Justin Katz. And Justin, I'd like to start off. This is something that you had uh, raised as soon as we got the announcement. Providence Journal's done a pretty extensive story of all of the praise on Congressman Cicilline and the tireless advocate and fighter and this job at the Rhode Island Foundation that he's about to get. Uh, what's kind of lost in that, and it shouldn't be, is he hardly was someone that was good with finances. And if anything, as Providence Mayor Angel Tavares had said, we were expecting a Category 3 hurricane. We got a, hurricane, a Category 5 hurricane, meaning the finances of the city, which he also misled the public, misled the press. Then Mayor Cicilline lied on a debate stage against John Loeffler, saying the city finances were fine. They weren't. The media gave him a pass on that, by the way, in full media bias fashion. But I think they, they raised some, some questions about the amount of money that they're talking about and who may be getting some of this money. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like Kathy Greg of the Providence Journal was listens to our segment or something. Yes. I, I don't know. At least she's she's kind of the last old school journalist who's actually going to yep. raise some skepticism in Rhode Island. And that's a, it's good to see, actually. And these are questions that, that definitely need to be asked. Like, why would you this guy? I mean, he's going to be managing many millions of dollars funds and he. The last time he had a managerial job with finance, he didn't do so well. And the idea that the the board of the Rhode Island Foundation went out and sought him, it's not as if he was applying for the job, at least as, as far as we're told, that raises some real questions in my mind. So it's, it's great that she asked, uh, started asking them. And one thing I noticed in her article, she she specifically targeted targeted the legislature, legislators. Are you going to trust this this organization with your public funds, giving his past and Speaker Shikarchi, Senate President Ruggiero. Oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, that makes me wonder if what we discussed last week was this is almost like the new corruption. You know, it's moved from the mob to the state government and now it's moving on to nonprofits because there's a ton of money. Yeah, not a ton of money. There's no no transparency or limited transparency, no no oversight from taxpayers. And so that's where the corruption is headed. And I think that's probably what the purpose is. They the covid money made them really realize. I mean, the Rhode Island Foundation was headed in this direction anyway. But all those millions of covid dollars that they filtered through the the Rhode Island Foundation, it was an area where they didn't have direct ability to slosh around like they do with say the civic center authority or, or uh ripta you know they can they can directly influence who gets the special favors there in this case they couldn't because the money went outside of government and then was filtered so it, it feels a bit like they said hey let's bring david in he'll be great at making sure that the rhode island foundation is another way we can shuffle money to favored people if we like them they get the thousands and thousands or millions in grants if we don't they don't this is so it i think is a real risk uh what we're seeing is a real risk that they'll they'll just turn the rhode island foundation into yet another favor factory in rhode island you know what's interesting justin is there are a lot of parallels with with those willing to pay attention with organized crime because if if you go back to you know, one of the things that the organized crime they loved about Las Vegas was the first ones out there were saying, it's great. There's no oversight. Uh, it's not like New York, Chicago and, and Kansas City, where there was some of the, you know, Boston, some of the, the real the root of it. Ah, there's like no oversight. And then many times they started to, you know, explore gambling in parts of Florida. And the same thing, it was like, are you kidding? They have like three people in the sheriff's department. 
They look for areas with very little to almost no oversight. And it's as if nonprofits is the new frontier. It's, it's not like a corporation. It's, it's not like a, a stock price. It's not you have to report that so much of it because, quote, it's a nonprofit. It doesn't have the traditional oversight. Look at how this committee met. And there was no one even allowed in the room because it, it's a nonprofit. So we, we never know what type of discussion or vote, meaning like the nature of how the vote was taken. Right. Well, I, th- I think the trick is, I mean, <clears throat> private companies, for-profit companies have m- much the same thing. But the trick is that it's they're sort of they've gone with the idea of nonprofits as charities, which they're not always. Yes. And and right. sort of that an excuse to sort of bring them into government almost a little bit as if as if it's just just a part of it. And I think that's that's a very, very important point. And I think one of the things we're seeing here, I, I mean, it, a political science uh, PhD candidate could write theses on these sorts of things. But we're seeing here, I mean, especially in o- the Obama years, and it continues, nonprofits became a great way for government to shuffle money to ideological activist groups to push yeah. their to push basically progressivism. And I think a lot of people what we see especially on the Democrat side, is when that happens, there's a large contingent of insiders that go, oh, wow, that'd be a great way to, to shuffle money too and corruption, and, you know, not, not push an ide- ide- ideological program, but just push cash to my friends. And so I think that's, that could be very well what we're seeing. And, and those two, of course, come together. So I expect the Rhode Island Foundation will become both a progressive activist group and a way to shuffle money to people's friends. But that's, that's exactly it. They, the, the lack of oversight, the money just disappears. And I've, I've had, I mean, others have done this too, but sometimes you run into an area where uh, you, you, you're tracing government money and it goes to a consultant or a nonprofit or some other group outside of government. And so you request those documents and they won't give them to you because they say, oh, that's not government. That's what they're after here. They're, I think in a lot of respects, they're saying, let's, how can we give money away? How can we shuffle it around? And when people put in those pesky uh, public records requests, we can just say, oh, sorry, that's their business. Uh, and I think that's that's what what we'll probably see more and more of. And so I'm glad Kathy Gregg's on the trail. I wish more younger journalists were as well, because this is going to be an ongoing uh, smorgasbord of corruption stories if they look for them. I also want to just frame this for people because it's an important point. And you, and you brought it up, Justin, initially in our conversation. It is, it is, they didn't like that the COVID money, that there was a paper trail. But I also want to equate this. Now, the endowment of the Rhode Island Foundation is over $1 billion. I think it's 1.5 billion. So he's going to have a lot of money at his disposal. And just so everyone listening understands the dynamic that's going on right now, the most powerful post, one of the most powerful, I would argue the most powerful is the Speaker of the House, whoever that person happens to be. Right now it's Joe Sakachi. But Justin, as you know, they they would not meet. Blake Filippi initially, he agreed to drop the JCLS lawsuit uh, because then they've agreed to meet. And that's a they they control 50 million. It's basically like a slush fund. That's 50 million in the JCLS has not met. So therefore, you don't know where all the money's been going. Um, And even, you know, that goes back to uh, Murphy, even as the speaker and then never met under Gordon Fox. And then Mattiello famously refused. But if you just look at, okay, so the speaker's the most powerful. He has, you know, that JCLS fund. Cicilline is going to have one billion almost at his disposal. So it is you're exactly right. The progressive causes trying to curry favor, uh, you know, kind of playing God a little bit. You get money. You don't get money. 
What are you going to make it in my interest to get it? They always like to have the leverage over someone of maybe I could give it to you. Maybe I'll give it to someone else. And then let's see where it falls out from there. Uh, but, but that is the position to me that he is really after, which is to have even a more uh, role than the speaker as far as handing out the money. I've, that's a great point, and I mean it, it's a way to to buy uh, buy compliance, right? If are, yes. are, you going, are you going to oppose this? Are you going to support this? Oh well, if you're one of those, then I can't really give you anything. And remember, this is the the politician who went on on, on the radio at one point and said, "I've seen these congressional Republicans up close, as if they're a bunch of Nazis or evil people." That's the kind of character we're dealing with here. But I think another really excellent point you raise is the 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 legislative budget now will have a little bit more oversight. It's headed in that direction. And uh, this is a pattern. I, you know, I, don't, I can't say for sure, but it's a pattern you see again and again. So they, you've got this area where they've got corruption. It gets identified. They start to, they, they sort of give in and let it be made transparent, but they find another way. And I'm, I'm thinking in particular of, say, straight ticket voting. Right where you could just vote Democrat, and every Democrat down the ballot got your got the vote, and that was a way not only of electing Democrats but also of ensuring compliance. If you could get on the ballot as a Democrat, that was a that was helpful uh, because you had to straight ticket voting. They they gave on that, but what did they replace it with? Mail ballot fraud, basically, in my view. So this could be something similar. They're giving on some of the okay, we'll give you a little more transparency with our our legislative slush fund, but look at this. Our friend David Cicilline now runs the Rhode Island Foundation, That's right. and so now we can show the money there and there's no transparency there until maybe that changes and then they'll find somewhere else perhaps to, to shuffle the money but i think that's part of what a pattern could be traced folks quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz managing editor anchorising.com right here on the john DePietro show propane plus in rhode island for all your propane needs call them 401 401- 885-4209 in Massachusetts. You can reach them at 508-252-3359. Propane heating and cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 Our segment is Politics This Week with us, Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Well, Justin, the uh, speculation continues about who is going to replace Congressman Cicilline in CD1. Last week, Attorney General Peter Narona, he made it official he's not going to. The kind of onslaught of the media announcing who was looking at it, who was not looking at it. Elena folks, still to me, I view her as the out. She truly is, whether people realize or not, but she is an outsider because she doesn't need all the political inside. It was Governor McKee that got a lot of the endorsements. She did not. So she's not on board with them. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Matos has not ruled it out. But 
the, an intriguing element is that Speaker Joe Sakachi still seems to be, you know, he's they're having a fundraiser for D.C. He won't rule it out. He would have to kind of do they do what they call exchange checks, which is you gave him money here, but he can't use it for that because it's a local race. This would be a congressional race, but there's, there's nothing complicated about that. It's been done in the past. Cicilline actually did that uh, in 2010 when he had amassed amount of money to run for governor, and then you have to switch checks to then make it for uh, Congress. But uh, I'm just wondering your other thoughts on that. No Republican has come out and said that they're going to go forward. We still don't have a, an actual date, which I don't understand why Secretary of State and the Board of Elections, I mean, it should have been announced to me within 48 hours once they they knew exactly the timeline that this was going to go. I know now that the mayor of both uh, Pawtucket and East Providence, they're not ruling it out. But uh, just curious some of your thoughts on this, um, what is going to be happening, and it's a, it's a race to replace Congressman Cicilline in Congressional District 1. Right. Yeah, I think from Shikarchi's point of view, there's, there's not a whole lot of downside to at least leaving open the speculation and doing a little bit of feeling around. I mean, for at the at the worst, you get to cash in some chips when somebody else comes forward and says, what, what, what will it take for you to drop out? And then exactly. you, can get, you can get a favor yeah. from that. And at best, I mean, it, it all depends what motivates them. I, the Speaker of the House is an extremely powerful position. But if you look back at history, they don't tend to end very well, <laughs> at least in the last few decades. They, they right. tend to they become targets of other political activists. They are act- actors and things go wrong and they get lured into corruption and everything they do is under a microscope often when they become politically disfavored. So, and it, and it can be a tough job. Whereas Congress, I mean, you're, you're once you're in Congress, maybe you move up to Senator, even president, and, and you're, you're in the history books for at least on a list somewhere. And it's, it's prestigious. You get to go on TV shows like Cicilline did. Uh, so, I mean, that's an attractive position for, for a whole different set of reasons. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that he He's, he's genuinely leaving it open. But even if he's not, it's, it's worth it for him to, to feel out the opportunities there. And I, I think people need to understand. So the primary seemingly would be sometime in September or could be August, actually. And then the special election for this may be in October. But what people need to understand is the reason we say someone has said to me, what do you mean by it's a it's a free shot? And I don't mind explaining that. But just and I want people to understand if Lieutenant Governor Matos goes for it, loses she remains lieutenant governor. If Speaker Sakachi went for the seat uh, and loses, he's he is still he still has the speaker. Many times you have to decide. You know, Seth Magaziner left. He was term limited out, but he did not run for governor. He ran for this. Many times you have to make a decision of of which race you're you're going to stay in, which race you're going to go in, and sometimes it it cannot work out, such as. Joe Paolino was the mayor of Providence. Joe Paolino was a popular mayor of Providence. Joe Paolino ran for governor in 1990 instead of running for re-election for, for mayor. And then he lost to Bruce Sundland in that 1990 Democrat primary for governor. Sundland went on to become the governor. But Paolino looks back. That paved the way for Buddy Cianci to then run for it. Paolino looks back and says, I should have run for re-election and then um, once he became the mayor again, then he should have run, you know, for, for governor either in 92 or in 94. And at least then he, he you know, he could have run when he had a free shot at it. But um, but I, I agree with you on Sakachi. I just think the fact that he's not ruling it out makes it very interesting. Now, Justin, speaking of Speaker Sakachi, he did have and we haven't seen this in the past and some people may not realize it, but you never saw Matty Yellowhold. 
a press briefing. Gordon Fox certainly didn't hold a press briefing. <laughs> Bill Murphy didn't hold any press briefings. And John Harwood was absolutely never responsive to the press. But Speaker Sakachi had a press briefing, and it's significant because if he wants to put something in action, he can actually make it happen. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on his press conference that he had his plans for housing in Rhode Island. Well, one thought, given what we were just talking about, is, you know, this is more of a legislative activity. So if you're running for Congress, this is the kind of thing you might you might do. You might want to make right. the press kind of make yourself prominent. You're not. I mean, our, our speaker of the House is sometimes more like a second, a, a separate governor. Right. And that, that might be why they're a little bit more quiet. They're administrative in some ways. But, yeah, this is definitely legislative activity. But as as far as the, the package itself, the second thing I wondered was, so what was all this we were we were going after Josh Saul about, that he didn't have a plan and this and that and the other thing? I mean, if the legislature has been putting this together, then maybe it was just a matter of getting this out there and putting him to work on it. I, I, I'm point. not quite sure how that, how that interacts. I mean, maybe he was opposed to some of it and they, they ushered him out. I'm not sure. Uh, but the, then the third and probably the most important for, for residents and taxpayers is a lot of what they're doing is standardizing or looking to do is standardize policy like zoning and planning at the state level and put pressure on towns to continually update their, update their local plans and, People should understand this. I mean, I see it in Tiverton where where the they they go and they make these regular plans. And what they do is they look at the town and they go, what would be the best use of this property? So if you've got a business right on the waterfront, they say, oh, that's not the best use of this property. And they put that in the plan that that shouldn't be business. It should be open space or, or something, a park or whatever. And they don't they don't evict you. But then the next time somebody wants to buy your property, they can't. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, your property is no longer as valuable as it was. It's like a long-term ratchet. And so the, that they're going to be moving this, they want to move this to the state level maybe it sounds good you know the locals say oh we can get we can finally get at the town council and the zoning board out of the way of some development no that's not what happens you're going to get the state imposing mandates you're going to have to follow the state plan which can get very very dangerous because that's where the ideological you know the, the progressives with billions of dollars of activism come and right. change the state plan to make sure they're you're putting in you're banning single basically banning single family homes in some places you're you're limiting lot sizes you're making sure we all live in this planned society and your property rights really don't matter to them that's the danger here it ought to stay local and one, one of the things that really struck me in, in Chikarchi's speaking was he, he said well you know if you haven't updated your your plan for your, your local plan for 30 years then then you can't use that as a basis to to reject a building proposal. Well, why not? I mean, if everybody likes the plan, why does it have to change? It's sort of like the Constitution. If we if we like it and it's working, why would we amend it? It's the same sort of thing. It's just that constant ratchet from the top down. And those are that's what the activists are, are going for, I think, with the with the plight of homeless people and, and people who are struggling to find housing. That's what they're going for. They they like the struggle so that they can push the ideological agenda. That's it, folks. So, yeah, segment is politics this week. With us is Justin Katz. Justin, that is an excellent point. And I think what people need to understand, and that is progressives do not care about quality of life for individuals. They don't respect it. They don't care about it. I think one of the best examples was, and I think it was two years ago, Kat Kerwin, that Providence City Councilwoman, there were neighbors that were complaining that there was a bar that didn't have an outside entertainment license. So they were blasting speakers. And when the police showed up and uh, you know they were saying that you know, there were residents that lived downtown and they didn't like the extra noise. Their reaction was, 
you know, too blanking bad. It's a city. In a city, you have to put up with noise. You have to put up with homeless people. You have to put up with panhandlers. You have to put up with crime. That's what it is. They and and this is a reoccurring theme. Anytime that someone says like, "Hey, I have that blocks my view," or "Hey, this you know that's loud, that disturbs my quality of life," they do not care about quality of life. And you're exactly right. That's it is dangerous that they start to get into some of the cities and towns. Right so, and. Another another kind of different side point on this is one of the things Shikarchi said, I, I think, in the Boston Globe interview is he credited the Boston Globe with their story of, of a family facing uh, rental problems for yes. part of this inspiration. And I just want to shortly, briefly point out that journalists love that. That's why they write those. That's they right. love the idea that they write the story that changes the law. And I, th- yep. I think that's an unhealthy impulse and I, but i think it explains a lot of the kind of reporting we get where the, these i mean that, that family that i think it's a strong family is is they're almost like local celebrities among journalists now because that that gave the journalists the, the opportunity to be activists and to change the world which is really should not be their role i don't think no. it, it should be more like kathy Gregg being skeptical and digging in and if there's a story there's a story if not well at least you you told reporter you told the public what was going on folks quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz made it together at anchorizing.com right here on the john DePietro show the coincid in 226 Coesit Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesit Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesit Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesit Inn. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us, Justin Katz, managing editor at EcoRising.com. Justin, there's a video out. Uh, Nicole Salas, South Kingstown mom. We've obviously talked about her. I think she's fantastic. She merged on the scene. Her story was she was trying to find out about the curriculum at the school where her child was going to attend. They wouldn't cooperate. They went on. There's, there's a video out that she was testifying on Parents' Bill of Rights. Speaker Kevin McCarthy was there. That video has rocketed on TikTok. It has over 4 million views on TikTok. There's no mention about the video in the local press, except Nicole and I have been sharing it. Hmm. She was on Fox and Friends over the weekend. She talks about how not only did Bob Walsh, first the school committee, show trial to intimidate anyone else that want to step forward and ask questions. Then she's being sued by the teachers union because she was just trying to get follow their public request, uh, public records request as far as having questions and they want to make an example out of her and they want to, uh, you know, really go after her and brand her. And I'm just curious your thoughts. You know, it, it, it actually makes me sick that Bob Walsh goes on lively experiment. He's not asked about the lawsuit. Nicole Solis is never asked, even when he was uh, going after her on lively and she, she contacted the station, wanted equal time to uh, defend, essentially defend herself. And they, they just refuse. And But instead, there's, there's no coverage of Nicole Solis. Uh, this is, you know, incredible, her testimony. And there's Speaker Kevin McCarthy right there 
Like, wow, this is fantastic. Governor McKee was endorsed by any Rhode Island. Walsh basically was, you know, what you and I have talked about with Crowley. Um, I find the bias against Nicole Solis just absolutely uh, just it's terrible the way the media won't cover locally. But I think a lot of it comes from fear of the power of the teachers union. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, it's partly it's fear of the teachers union, but I think a lot of it's just agreement with the mission of the teachers union, that progressive activism. It's just how they think the world ought to work. And it's, I think it's, it's not necessarily targeted against Nicole Solis. It's also, I mean, think of any conservative or Republican activist around here that can't be made into a, a joke. They're not the, the attention is not paid. You could, you just, you just, you have to go outside of Rhode Island. And I, we learned this with Anchor Rising decades ago. You have to go outside of Rhode Island to start your audience and to get any attention uh, because the local media is not going to help you out very much. And that's, that's just the story they want to tell. And it actually corresponds with a post I put up recently on Anchor Rising uh, comparing like the parents group. So the URI has this I don't know, mis media misinformation center that's doing all sorts of, uh, they want to teach us to, to, to spot mainly conservative misinformation, as they call it. But they they put those parents groups, so people like the movement that Nicole was part of, or is part of, as equivalent to Nazis. They're violent people who go to meetings. And, you know, I've been to school committee meetings where the teachers unions were negotiating, and it was the most tense, aggressive environment I've ever been in. Yeah. And there were journalists there. Yeah. I didn't see it reflected in the news at all. It was just, that's that's just how they play, you know? That, yes. Well, parents right. get a little upset that their children are being given essentially cartoon porn. And that's, oh, how, how dare those aggressive parents you know, they send the FBI? You know, I think so. I think that's part of the, the issue here is just the, it's the story the media wants to tell is perfectly aligned with the story that the labor unions benefit from telling. And you, you see this even in Providence. There's a the, the headline parents suing school over closure of schools. No, they're not. There may be some no. parents who came forward if you do any a second of research the lawyer bringing it is a labor union lawyer right who's, who's bringing a lawsuit in the name of parents to prevent the closure of schools but that's not even hinted at the parents aren't named they're not quoted it's just the story they're telling and i think that that is a, a big educational opportunity to see how the news media cha changes the story from what it ought to be to what it what it really what they want it to be. And I think that's that's what you're putting your finger on is Walsh has never asked about it. It's not a story. They want Nicole Solis to go away. They, yep. She could be, I mean, if, if the president were a Republican, she could be put front and center at the White House in a big parade and it would barely make a mention in the local media because that's not the story. They, they don't want people to look under that rock because it's a no. disgusting, dangerous, toxic place. And on top of that, and I want people to understand, it's not beyond a Walsh or Crowley. They'll pick up the phone and try to be it like in a joking way, like, hey, what's with the story? It almost sounds like you're supporting her or, hey, what's that all about? And they'll, they'll pull them aside, you know, at, a, at some kind of a thing of like, boy, you don't want people getting the wrong idea. It's it's subtle intimidation. And just to catch right? I mean, Crowley, you and I have covered and talked about their antics. They would go to a school committee meeting. I know, you know, parents would complain in Coventry. They had that big guy who was like a henchman for them. He was like a goon. He was uh, one of the janitors at CSI. They would bring him to these school committee meetings, whatever, and they'd follow people out to their car. They're loud. And he was the one, I think, at an East Greenwich meeting, you know, yelling at 
some of the you people, you with your yachts and mansions, and, <laughs> yeah, and then Lou. they ride by the house later. They follow them home. Now, as much as people may say, you know, well, you know, you got to do what's right. If if you're in a school committee meeting and someone is following you out to your car and then they're following you home and then yelling and honking out in front of your house, it's it's intimidating to people. And then what do people say? Like, forget this. I don't need this. And that's exactly what they want. Yeah, Lou. That's that was Lou. He he. Tiverton once he followed me into out of during a school committee. He followed me into the bathroom and stood there at the urinal next to me talking to me. You know, at the, at the time I was a, you know a burly carpenter to some extent, so I wasn't very intimidated, and I think he picked up on that. But the the average non crazy person that's going to be a scary experience, yeah. and that's that's what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Folks, um, and also our, our segment is politics this week. With this is Justin Katz. So Justin, dovetailing on that. You have the story that came out last week about this Providence teacher and child molestation to students at the school. I'm going to I'm looking into and developing more information. There is more about why they don't go through background checks, but it should be noted on people. Or I think this was a pattern. uh, The things he was physically doing. We're not talking about that someone that uh, said something or looked at someone a certain way or. I don't know. Sometimes we've had these stories with these coaches and these group chats with students and they maybe put something inappropriate. This was he was physically doing things. I've learned more. He's been doing this 10 years ago and he's Providence wearing tight pants that are inappropriate. But just to notice here you have a, a, a teacher who, by all accounts, more than one student has come forward and pretty graphic just depictions of him basically like grinding and humping up against some of these you know sixth grade girls eighth grade girls but what i noticed is not one elected official came not one person came out and said boy if that's true he should be fired now one person came out and said anything in the media about this individual and and you and i both know if there was that that's controlled there's they don't even call the head of the teachers union or anyone to get a response on that it's as if it happened on a Friday and let it just like there's nothing to see here. Let it go away. Right. And it, it all depends on the group. Right. If, if, uh, if right. a priest or a religious person anywhere in the world does something, that's the fault of the whole organization. When it comes to public schools and teachers unions, if anything happens, that's, you know, oh, that's just an isolated case slipped through the cracks. Let's just ignore it like we ignore Nicole Solis going to Washington. Right. Let's, let's just we put that aside. We don't have to think about it. And I think but that's actually, I think, getting compounded and worse because the the kind of hypocrisy is is getting really tricky for politicians i mean this story comes out and if you look in a tw- any given twitter feed at the moment you see uh, you see teachers unions and progressive activists saying on a trans issue saying oh well students should be able to tell secrets to teachers without and that the teachers don't tell the parents i mean that's, that's right that's in in that context they want a close private secretive relationship between parent uh, teachers and students but and this is one of the, the dangers of that i mean it's a lot of big controversy to call call the progressive activism grooming but it opens the door once you've got that kind of secretive kind of relationship people who are kind of predatory will will take advantage of that and how are you going to fight it i mean it makes me think of in north kingstown you've got one of these one of these suspicious conservative parents groups concerned that there's basically there are graphic novels in the library that depict adult child 
sexual relationships. And yep. at the same time, you've got naked fat tests going on on the basketball team. That's right. right? That that is a contradiction or a contrast that the news media and the progressives not to be redundant that they don't and the politicians don't want people to be thinking about because it's exactly proves the point if you open a door for this stuff you get that stuff too and that's that's a big that's a big thing that people need to start paying more attention to and that's i think that's why these stories come out and they try to treat it like a criminal thing hush it up put it aside and and not not let people think too much about it. I mean, if you want to have a lively experiment on PBS, have conversations about these sorts of things that would inform the public and entertain them with, with deep thought. They don't want that because they want it all to seem like uh, like there's no there there. They're, they're kind of dictating reality. It comes off like a club. It, you know, oh, here comes Bob Walsh. And, you know, there's <laughs> really no disagreement with him in any way. And then the same thing as we talked about, there was the head of the back, uh, Black Business Bureau saying those outrageous things about police, and there's essentially no, you know, no, uh, you know, pushback of any kind. Justin, two more stories. What do you make of the story out of Bristol, where there was someone that was saying, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, what what is the town ordinance regarding adult entertainment?" This is, from what I understand, there was someone that heard about that there were there's now a brewery in in Bristol, and and um, as a matter of fact, so they had like some kind of a drag show so the way i understood it was someone just wanted to clarify like what type of adult entertainment is here but the people someone on the school committee lee or excuse me the town council leaked who it was so then they packed the meeting now it turns into that he is you know like a homophobe and he's against gays and so they all turn out and they're trying to demonize the guy um that's again the progressives how they let's let's embarrass this guy and really target him so no one else wants to step forward and question what type of entertainment is going on in the town right i, I it makes me think of uh writer rod Dreher has what he calls the law of merited implausibility and basically it's when progressives say oh that'll never happen but when it does it, you'll deserve it and that, so i think that's that's kind of the way captures the way progressives or i mean frankly they're, they're marxists think and act they they just constantly are pushing that cultural uh, envelope and i think that you see this very clearly in this instance yep. i mean think of the argument they're making their complaint against this this gentleman's uh, proposal is that it would make the definition of of adult entertainment too vague uh, and therefore it might prevent drag shows which would be bigotry that's kind of their argument but step back and look at it and what they're really saying is that drag shows are so close to what we think of as adult entertainment that you have to be very specific with your definition or you will include drag shows and that raises the question is are they adult entertainment at what point do they become adult entertainment are we really is this really a healthy thing and the if you think about it real close, I, I suspect, you know, in a year or two, five years, if we're lucky, these same people will be back trying to repeal adult entertainment definitions and, and zoning restrictions on them because that's where they're headed. That's where they want to go. It's all like a, a political mind game that they're just trying to drag us along. And so even so this guy claims he had drag shows were not in his intent at all with with his proposal. I don't know him. I don't know if that's if he's, he's kind of backpedaling because of public pressure. Um, right. But 
but it, he claims he's not. Even if he weren't, if that's the truth, they look for these things so they can push their agenda. They look for areas where they can make an example of people, make them embarrassed, and then nobody wants to come forward. And you see this in, in towns all over the place. I mean, I, I know in Tiverton, for example, there was a, a push, a ch- one of the students for their a senior project or something wanted to start a gay straight alliance in middle school. And one of the one of the uh, one of the school committee people wanted said, you know, I don't know about that. We're getting into sticky territory. And so the girl starts crying. And next thing you know, that that school committee teacher is backing down. And one person from the community came forward and said, uh, yeah, I'm not sure we want to be doing this. But you know that more would if they weren't intimidated. Right. And, they, and it, so that's what they're trying to do is prevent rational conversation. Maybe. Maybe even if you are including uh, drag shows in your your zoning adult entertainment, you know, we're not banning them. We're just zoning. Uh, Even if you are doing that, maybe that's appropriate. You know, maybe in some areas with a lot of children or schools or whatever, maybe the venue has a big open front window and there's kind of stuff that may not be pornographic necessarily but insinuating certainly maybe you want to restrict that you know so it's not happening with big glass windows on children's walk home from school i you know that kind of thing i'm not saying one way or another but but i'm saying those are the things they don't want you to even be able to consider because they want to make it all about civil rights and, and and they're just you know they're pushing their agenda it's how they operate and people have to get smarter about that and start pushing back a bit i think and Justin, finally, on Sunday, I was outside the Gam Theater. I am uh, affiliated with the Rhode Island Coalition for Israel, even though I'm Catholic. There's many people that they have that are not Jewish that are part of the organization. I was very happy for them, the organization. Uh, they they put a lot of work into it. They drew a lot of attention. They actually got a decent amount of press. The one thing that surprised me, folks, this has to do with the Gam Theater and Warwick, Jefferson Boulevard. They're, doing the month of March, this production of this play called, it's it's a comedy, but called Bad Jews, and the Rhode Island Coalition was upset about it. What was interesting to me about it, though, Justin, was yesterday, Tony Estrella, who runs the Gam Theater, he had not done anything in the press. When he came out, he, he defended it, and then now it's a discussion, and he stood his ground and said, you know, the fact that they're using red, black, and red, uh, excuse me, white, those, although those those are the colors of of the Nazis, and if you look at a swastika, those are the colors. That's the color they're using for the season. And he he made an argument that it's a very popular play. It's a number one play in the country right now. Uh, they forced a discussion. They believe in freedom of speech. But with their first inclination, the camp theater, the guy is a tremendous spokesperson. He stood their ground with we're putting it on. We want people to come see it. It was provocative, the title, but that's the name of it. Um, what, I, what I didn't understand, and I know the Rhode Island Coalition for Israel didn't like it, but the fact that Ken Schneider and Howard Brown were my friends, and I like those guys a lot, but I, I give the game credit. That's the way it should play out. Like, come out, and I even suggested that could have been a, a night at the theater, having Rhode Island Coalition for Israel on the left side of the stage, <laughs> the members of the game theater and others on the on the right side of the stage. There's, there's nothing wrong with disagreement but this it's this head ostrich head in the sand hiding from everyone that's what caused this thing to bubble up to the surface to begin with 
I think so. You know, what, what, what makes me, I mean, my first reaction to this sort of thing, and I, I get what you're saying about the, the colors and the presentation, you know, could be more considerate. I mean, some, often, you know, people don't realize when the graphic designers come in, what what tropes they may be using inadvertently. Right. Uh, but so I, that I, I agree. But, I, you know, generally, I think of, you know, 20 years ago or more, we had a much more, I don't know, in some ways it was rougher, but we, uh, but we all kind of saw each other more equally in society. And it, it always, I, it always really came forward for me when I had blue collar jobs with multicultural people from all different races and ethnicities. We busted on each other. We were, we made fun of ourselves and our own ethnicity. We busted on other people. It was just allowed. It was, it was a way we were comrades and friends. And I, I think that we're missing that with a lot of the identity politics. And so yeah. you don't get, you don't get a solution like you're suggesting, which I think is great. Have a night where you go out, maybe, maybe you put on a play, maybe you don't. But at any rate, you have a panel discussion or just a debate about it. I don't think people do that anymore because no. one we're all kind of trapped in our, our uh, you know devices and you know why go out when you can sit home and you've got a million pleasure devices but uh, but also i think it's just a very tricky thing you go on a stage yeah. like that in an open forum just as a member of the public i mean if you're if you're a practiced orator or, or politician or journalist type person that's a little different you're you're used to thinking on your feet but if you're just an average person you say something that's a little off color or it doesn't come off quite as you intended and suddenly you're done <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. losing your job and i think you're right. we don't we don't have that kind of environment and so you get you get people protesting instead of discussing and, and, and discussing talking these things through and i think that's we're a much poorer society for that yeah and and, and just to finish on that you know you're exactly right justin there's no more net there's no more safety net you know the way they like uh someone walking across the high wire uh if if anyone look at if if you for whatever reason thought that senator tierra mack that that was inappropriate that used twerking that's because you're a racist. That's because you're against strong women. Never mind. She's then, uh, you know, openly lives an alternative lifestyle. But those are the reasons. And that's how you're labeled. That's how they come after you. Folks, again, our segment politics this week. He is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Justin, excellent job as always. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. A great pleasure. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors, they specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation, Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401-580-1852. Based in Smithfield, Limitless Outdoors. They also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces. Limitless Outdoors. Call them today. Free quote. Get the most of your outside. You're going to love what they can do for you. 401-580-1852. 401 401- 580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. Dream, build, enjoy. For over 125 years, Ameriprise Financial has provided advice for clients' unique goals help millions of Americans retire on their terms. Now, as we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, why not take advantage of our free consultation? Call Tom Bryan today 
Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Offices located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence. Put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for, for you through a personal one-on-one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren, take advantage of this free consultation, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401-434-1510. Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial Advisors. to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm remember you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com folks visit the website on the website you'll see all our links to social media whether it's facebook or youtube instagram even tiktok plus you if you want to reach me that's the best way to do it we have unique original stories videos content log on right at the website dipetro.com